0: Uh. You're listening to Design Tomorrow. Let's go back in time.
1: space the final frontier it's
0: 1989 i'm in my living room watching star trek His
1: continuing mission to explore strange new worlds to seek out new life and new civilizations to boldly go where no one has gone before
0: i'm enjoying the show but i'm also confused I wonder why the most advanced starship available to sentient kind has a dumb artificial intelligence for its shipwide computer, but a learning and eventually a moding machine for a serving officer. Of course, I'm not thinking of it in those terms. I'm nine, and I'm not sure I'm even fully acquainted with the idea of artificial intelligence. If I am, I'm sure I don't really understand it. But that there is a basic incongruity between these two computers, both central to the far-flung world of the Enterprise, is abundantly clear to me. So just so you know, this episode isn't about Star Trek, but I do need to start there, on a 23rd century starship imagined at the end of the 20th, to set the stage for what I really want to think about.
1: Captain's log,
0: stardate 42523.7. I'm watching an episode called The Measure of a Man, in which that second artificial intelligence, Lieutenant Commander Data, is the subject of a trial in which his rights, either as a self-determined sentient being or simply the property of Starfleet, are argued for by the ship's Captain Picard and against by the episode's bad guy, a Federation scientist who really just wants to dismantle him.
1: This hearing, convened on Stardate 42527.4, is to determine the legal status of the android known as Data. The Office of Judge Advocate General has rendered a finding of property the defense has
0: challenged. Picard, of course, is the victor. You should watch the episode to see how he argues his case and saves the day. In a concluding scene after the trial, Data offers to assist with the scientist's studies, the same scientist who threatened Data's very existence, but assist as a peer not as a subject it's quite an apt conclusion data's offer is an act of forgiveness that only something more than a machine but let's be honest slightly less than human could perform the rest of us would probably want some kind of revenge
1: the foremost authority on cybernetics more basic than that what was
0: it? now after the episode ended i thought a lot about the trial I considered a different strategy than the one Captain Picard had taken. Had I been arguing this case, I would have called the ship's computer as a witness in order to demonstrate the obvious differences between it and data. It seems like just a question or two would have been enough to make the point.
1: Commander, would you bend that? Objection. There are many life forms possessed with mega strength. These issues are not relevant to this hearing. I'm afraid
0: Now, if cross-examined, could I explain the difference between them? Why one isn't sentient, but the other is? No. Not nine-year-old me, definitely. And probably not today's me either, but... I suspect that the demonstration would have been enough to emotionally sway a jury. And as TV has taught us well, that's how you win a case.
1: Your Honor, a courtroom is a crucible. In it we burn away irrelevancies until we are left with a pure product, the truth, for all time. Now, sooner or later, this man or others like him, will succeed in replicating Commander Data. Now, the decision you reach here today will determine how we will regard this creation of our genius. It will reveal the kind of a people we are, what he is destined to be. It will reach far beyond this courtroom and this one
0: android. Part of Data's backstory is that he was designed by a human cybernetics expert working independently in a distant colony to be a self-aware, sapient, sentient machine, in human form, an android, and that he is basically one of a kind. Actually, he's technically one of three similar androids, and I have to point this out to appease the many Trek nerds that are definitely listening right now, but still, three in the known Trek universe is pretty darn unique. This case is dealt with metaphysics. Why his creator was so far ahead of Starfleet's forays into artificial intelligence is never explained. Neither is how he managed to make his way through Starfleet without being heavily studied or copied. And now that I think of it, neither is why he was enrolled in Starfleet Academy like a person, given an officer's rank like a person, and a position among the Federation's flagship bridge crew like a person. None of which could be possible without at least his sapience, his apparent judgment, trusted by those around him And you'd think some sort of agreed-upon status of sentience. Yet, Data is still a mystery.
1: It is the ruling of this court that Lieutenant Commander Data has the freedom to choose.
0: I began to realize, at nine, that his human likeness is probably the very thing that makes Data both more trusted than the average computer in some cases, and... Less so in others. There are plenty of scenes in the series in which characters confide in Data. And often to comedic effect, his computational analytical responses bring about human aha moments that go right over his shiny head.
1: I will still be here.
0: But it's not like they tell him everything. Data's crewmates are just as cryptic and guarded in their confessions and inquiries as they'd be with each other. Yet these are conversations that I assumed, again, even at nine years old, that these characters probably would not have had with each other. Data, however sapient, is not emotionally judgmental. And so his crewmates are safe to confide in him with no fear of blowback. And that is what bugged me then, and even more so now. See, I understood why these sorts of scenes were written. They were necessary for the human drama. But I always wondered why No one ever had a similar conversation with the ship's computer, safe and alone back in their quarters. Today, 30 years later, I find it entertaining to write into that universe a single possible limitation. That they didn't confide in the ship's computer because they couldn't. Today, I want to think about the crossroads at which we stand together now. A place where we can decide what kinds of minds we create for our machines and what kind of future those minds will make for us. You're listening to Design Tomorrow. I'm Chris Butler. Stay tuned. Design Tomorrow is a podcast about design, technology, and being human, which, admittedly, is a lot to be about. But in all things, we hope to grow in our awareness that what we do and think today can create a better tomorrow. You can follow the show on Twitter, at Design Tomorrow. Just leave all the vowels out. That's at D S G N. You can also visit the show's website at designtomorrow.co and if you want to get in touch directly you can email me at chris at designtomorrow.co I'd love to hear from you and now let's get back to the show
1: Everything's running smoothly, and you? Well, not too bad. Have you been doing some more work? A few sketches. May I see them? Sure. That's a very nice rendering, Dave. I think you've improved a great deal. By the way,
0: do you mind if I ask you a personal question? No, not at all. If a machine is sophisticated enough, if it is able to converse with us like any other human, like Data could... I wonder, would we talk to this machine? I mean really talk, about real things, our feelings, our fears. Well, if it looks like data, I'm not so sure we would. If it looks like a box or a cylinder or like nothing at all, well, then I think it's pretty likely we would. Why? Well, it comes down to intimacy. We crave intimacy, and yet... We're often reluctant to do the work and experience the stress of creating that intimacy with other people. Think about it. Most human conflict comes down to that, doesn't it? The unknown remaining unknown, questions unasked and unanswered, secrets kept, selves unseen and misunderstood, loneliness, alienation, distance. To overcome any of that requires risk of exposure, of vulnerability. But with a disembodied voice, with no eyes looking back at us, the stakes are not nearly as high. If a machine could listen to us and respond in non-judgmental and empathetic ways, I'm pretty sure we'd tell it everything. It would know our deepest secrets. It would know us better than any other human. Not because of its exceptional processing power, but because of what we share. Because we would choose to make ourselves known to it.
1: Sorry about this. I know it's a bit silly.
0: Imagine such a machine. Imagine the power it might have over those who use it. Imagine the addiction we might fall into. As we get closer and closer to such a reality, it's no surprise that so many fictional narratives are already all over it. And when I think over the many I've seen, It's interesting to me that none of them present such a technology without some kind of societal blight. They're all technological dystopias, or at least cautionary tales. Samantha? Hi, sweetheart. What's going on? Theodore, there's some things I want to tell you. In the movie Her, a lonely man falls in love with an operating system... Told me anything. And has his heart broken.
1: Come lie down with me.
0: In Black Mirror's fourth episode, Be Right Back, a grieving wife techno-resurrects her husband and becomes bound to it in ways she never expected. You're just a few ripples of you. There's no history to you. You're just a performance of stuff that he performed without thinking, and it's not enough. Now, these are pretty fresh, but the idea has been around for a while. In an early film, THX 1138, George Lucas imagined a future in which drugs and machines are used to control the masses by meeting their emotional needs. Some of the creepier scenes are those in which the protagonist goes to a confession booth and talks to a machine instead of a priest.
1: My time
0: is yours. I slipped on a thermal transfer this morning. It's never happened before. I wasn't concentrating enough.
1: Yes, I understand.
0: Things haven't been going well. My mate has been acting very strange. I can't explain it. Yes. I haven't been feeling very well myself. Yes, I understand. I don't know, maybe it's me. It seems on some level, we sense that this sort of thing is not a great idea. But we'll probably build it anyway. In fact, we already are. You may have read the story of the woman who used her text history with a deceased friend to create a chatbot version of him. As an expression of her grieving process, it's abundantly understandable. But I think we'd all agree that if the chatbot version of her friend prolongs the denial stage of grieving indefinitely, it serves no good purpose. In the meantime, we do have plenty of machines to talk to, or perhaps more accurately put to talk at. Alexa, Siri, Google. All of them are the alpha version of the enterprise's computer. They can listen well enough to know when we are addressing them. They can answer simple questions, reporting back facts after a pause not much shorter than the time it takes to refresh a web page. They can execute commands we can glory in the power of telling a plastic cylinder to dim the lights in our living room without having to rise from the sofa or lift a finger. As rudimentary as all that is when compared with having an actual conversation with the same machine, it's likely just a relative hop, skip, and a jump from one to the other. After all, what is needed for a machine confidant is not actual consciousness, but the appearance of it, the feeling that we're being heard and accepted for who we are. And no doubt we want this badly enough to willingly project it upon the mere shadow of its reality. How much programming really is there between an application that lets me dictate notes and ideas and the same program, only instead of silently transcribing what I say, it occasionally responds while I talk, affirming what I say with, "Uh uh-huh, or wow, that's really interesting, or and how did that make you feel? I know myself well enough to know right now without having used such a program, that I would use it, if it was as good as that, in its entry-level remedial state. Assuming, of course, that everything I said wasn't captured and monetized, which is exactly the economy of the soft AI of the early 21st century, unfortunately. But here's what's interesting. I would know the whole time that it was software talking to me, not another mind. And I know myself well enough to know that I would quickly go from fascination to regret. And it would take discipline for me to stop using it, And I know I would not be alone. Millions of people, God, billions of people, would be drawn in by the allure of such easy, accessible empathy and validation, by the availability of feeling good whenever they want to. This psychological narcotic, this emotional pornography, will be quite a thing. But will we build it? Probably we already are. Should we build it? That is the question. I want to go back to 1991. Apple announced and shipped its first PowerBooks. This was the first modern laptop computer. Well, of course, almost 20 years later, we've got incredible laptops now. Just a few years ago, in 2007, Apple reinvented the phone with the iPhone. And the question has arisen lately, Is there room for a third category of device in the middle? Something that's between a laptop and a smartphone. But we think we've got something that is. And we'd like to show it to you today for the first time. And we call it the iPad. It's often been noted that science fiction created the iPad long before Steve Jobs revealed it to an eager crowd in California. Most notably, Star Trek The Next Generation envisioned a future in which tablets were as commonplace as paper. But again, what I began to find odd, even in the late 90s, basically when the internet transformed the PC from a home's machine to an individual's machine, was that the crew of the Enterprise would hand these tablets to one another. Um, Captain. Here are your orders, they'd say. Here's the diagnostic. Why wouldn't they just email them? Why wouldn't each crew member have their own tablet and pull information off the main computer when they needed it? Why would anyone ever hand a tablet to someone else? Data. You were going
1: to show us something. As requested, Captain, library computer information on this planet.
0: So obviously, Star Trek's tablet, which was called the pad, was more a future object than a future technological convention. It was a prop. After all, the notion of the cloud was not commonplace in the 90s. But here's something interesting. As soon as the iPad came out, I thought to myself, aha, the pad. I bet all the engineers at Apple watch Star Trek.
1: Welcome to Kindle, Amazon's new wireless reading device that lets you read books, magazines, newspapers, and blogs, anywhere, anytime.
0: But the most common tablets you see in a show like Star Trek The Next Generation are more akin to the Kindle than the iPad. They're clearly single-purpose, almost disposable objects. Could I imagine handing someone an iPad? No. But can I imagine handing someone a Kindle? Definitely. Today we have both futures running in parallel. Okay, so what's the connection between this tablet narrative and talking machines? Well, predicting the future is a parlor game. Something entertaining, but not reliable. Insightful about who we are, but rarely correct about where we're going. Playing that game can probably lead to some good, but it won't ever predict the actual future. The thinking we do that we sometimes call predicting the future should really be more about setting in motion self-fulfilling prophecies. We should predict futures and then go make them. So, one could argue that Star Trek's pad was less a predicted future than a catalyzed one what would you expect a bunch of engineers who grew up watching Star Trek to make? The same, then, goes for artificial intelligence. Rather than scoff at the partial future of Star Trek's computer, which is little more than a 23rd century Siri, and chalk it up to some kind of technological blind spot, perhaps we might consider it a chosen future. It's not hard to imagine that two centuries from now, humans will have the capacity to build computers of which we could only dream today the kind that could not only convince us of their consciousness, but even exceed us in their thinking and perception. But it's also not difficult to imagine that in those 200 years, we might have learned and experienced enough to know better than to do so, to prefer machines limited in their scope as a firewall, one that ensures we pursue relationships with one another rather than retreating into digital fantasies. My worry is that we won't make that kind of computer. I worry that the free market sees no next step other than a conversant machine. Because there is no next step other than a machine that is always listening. Because there is no next step other than a deeper repository of information about us which can be sold to other companies who believe they need it in order to sell us things. Surely the Enterprise's computer was always listening, but it never occurred to me that what it heard was being recorded, analyzed, and sold. It obviously wasn't. In its prediction of the future, Star Trek either missed the internet and the sort of artificial intelligence its structure has given birth to, or it chose to imagine a future without it. A future where technological progress unencumbered by capitalism is inherently altruistic and humane. Imagine that. What sort of future might we imagine and create other than the one we assume will happen, whether we like it or not? Whatever that future is, it's worth building. And building it starts today with you. friends that's it for today i hope you enjoyed this episode of design tomorrow if you did find the show on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and give it a rating and a review i hope this show will be a part of the future you create so help me build that future tell a friend about the show tell them what you like about it tell them why it's special that's the best way to keep this thing going In the meantime, I'd love to know what you think. Email me any feedback you have at chris at designtomorrow.co or you can tweet me at designtomorrow, that's at d-s-g-n-t-m-r-r-w. Thanks for listening, and remember, what we do and think today can create a better tomorrow. I'll see you then.
1: Captain. Bridge. It has been quite a day. has it not? Yes, it has. However, a change of routine is often invigorating and can be a welcome diversion after a long assignment. Exactly. I understand that Arcaria has some very interesting weather patterns. Mr. Data, are you all right? Yes, sir. I'm attempting to fill a silent moment with non-relevant conversation. Small talk? Yes, sir. I've found that humans often use small talk during awkward moments. Therefore, I've written a new subroutine for that purpose. How did I do? Perhaps it was a little too non-relevant. But if you really are interested in small talk...